Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It is another beautiful Friday for those of you who are here in the South region of the United States. I don't know where you are, where you're coming from, where you're listening from, but uh, we wish you a happy Friday. Matt, how are you doing today? Well, it's Friday, everybody. Um, Great to uh, be back on the show here with uh, a wonderful guest, a uh, very special guest that we have today. Um, and uh, just hope hope everybody's having a great weekend, uh, getting off of work here soon. And, we're going uh, on shift. We're going on shift. <laughs> but uh, yeah, excited for the show. So today we're going to have a, a very insightful conversation with someone I met uh, a while back. We were doing a program together uh, for the WPO, which many of you may not know. It's called the World Presidents Organization, YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And I'll let our guests talk a little bit about what that is and how that works. But Dr. Amir Kafir, he likes to be called Amir, is an organizational consultant and management change leader. For over 30 years, he's been helping companies worldwide in organizational transformation and has been a leader in the Young Presidents Organization, the YPO. And he uses their forum methodology process to help everyone be a better version of themselves. His global experiences have led him to gain a deep understanding of cultural and business diversity. And Amir is known for his methodology of non-conflict, which he spoke about in a TEDx talk in 2017, and you can go online and grab that. He's also the author of Non-Conflict, The Art of Everyday Peacemaking, in which he offers practical tools and exercises for dealing with conflict. And we are so blessed to have him with us today from Tel Aviv. So uh, we're, we're delighted that you were able to spend your dinner hour with us. And I know you're also doing a concurrent program here in Mozambique. So this should be a fascinating call today. How are you, Amir? I'm great. I like uh, this lifestyle of being able to be in multiple places in one day and, uh, and, and really having the freedom to speak my mind and for people who are willing to listen. You you are known for speaking your mind. That that is the truth. Yeah, it's it, it's very liberating. But what I learned is that when people speak their truth, it's most resonating with people. It brings a level of authenticity. So, actually, being ourselves, being authentic, being real, is very rewarding because people resonate with authenticity. Authenticity uh, creates a sense of trust in people. So when you are real, when you're you know, when when you say it the way it is and the way that you see it, there's a great energy that comes with it. So I'm very happy to be with you. Um, you know, speaking uh, to the voice of America and communicating to what I think is one of the most amazing countries in the world. You know, a country that for my country, Israel, is a very, very important ally. Um, these days, even an ally that is trying to help us be the better self of ourselves, uh, but that has been there for Israel over the history of this country and supported us in so many ways, um, I feel an obligation for this country and for the well-being of the people who serve that country. And I think this is a great opportunity to share some of my learning and my journeys around the world. So thank you for having me here. And just one thing to correct. The yes. book is not called non-conflict. It is actually not to say not to have conflict, to say non-conflict. It's actually called non-flict. Ah. Non-flict is a crazy word that doesn't exist in English. It was a word made by the son of my co-author who made that word up and probably already trademarked it and registered it. And what that really means is at essence, it's not about not having a conflict in life. Life is conflict. 
right? The most quiet place in town is the cemetery because there's no life there. There's no movement. As long as we're alive, we're going to experience conflict. So the question is not whether you have it or not. The question is, what's your attitude to the conflict? Are you able to shift it in a way that you look at it more as an opportunity, that you look at differences between us as an opportunity to learn? Because actually, a conflict is a desirable condition where two people think differently. Imagine if everybody thought the same, how boring that would be. And definitely one of them would be unnecessary. So the fact that we are different, the fact that we have conflict is the nature of life. The whole evolution is about the conflict. So I just saw two parrots making love on my balcony. And I don't know if you've seen parrot making love, but it looks quite uh, quite aggressive at the beginning. I mean, he's smacking <laughs> from behind, and, right? So life and creation has an element of conflict in it, has an element of of diverse energies that are like clashing with each other. So the fact that we have conflict in our life is, you know, it's sort of like, welcome to the club. What would you expecting? The real question is, what's our attitude to this thing? Are we able to look at it and say, what can I learn here? And really the conditions for learning is two things. And this is the teaching of my teacher, Dr. Ichak Adizas who's been a big influence on my life. He's a professor out of uh, uh, UCLA that taught me many things when I worked for him for many years. Um, mutual trust and respect. Mutual respect means that I learn from you. And uh, if I learn from you, when you talk, I look at you because I have something to learn there. And that you might, the more you think differently, the more strange your thought line is, I might say, hey, slow down, come again. Let me understand you. This is really different than the way that I thought. And it's very critical that we take the time to truly listen to different opinions and that we breathe into the differences because there is an opportunity to learn something new. Scott Fitzgerald said, wisdom is the ability to hold two opposing opinions simultaneously, to really look at it. And also, by the way, from a military point of view, this is just apropos what we went here now in Israel, the critical nature of understanding that we need alternative thinking. We were caught right now in a concept that some things will not happen. And anybody that came to the table and said something different was not very popular. We even know that in our military unit, the unit that is responsible for counter thinking is not where people rise to greatness and to the higher positions, which means people understand and read between the lines. If you think outside of the line, you will not be at the top of the pyramid. And so people are very much conforming into one way of thinking. So the first thing is respect for differences. The second thing is trust. While respect is manifested by eye contact, trust is me shaking your hand and then turning my back to you because I know that you're not gonna stab me at the back because we are aligned with our interests, that your well-being and my well-being are aligned. And the highest level of alignment is that we know that we can depend on each other, that you will take care of me and I will take care of you. And I think the people that are listening to this are the kind of people that are preoccupied in their life with taking care of other people. They watch my back, right? When we go to a conflict or a difficult situation in life, we ask, who's gonna watch my back? And when people like your friend who's been in the military and been fighting and been doing whatever he's done, and I'm sure from the unit that he came from, he's been in very difficult situations, always ask, will I go to battle with you, my friend? Can I depend on you? And when we go dump, if we go diving or we jump from an airplane, I check your equipment, not only mine, because mm -hmm. I need to know that you're going to stay alive. If you become a burden and you're going to die, I have one last person to protect me. I need you to take care of your equipment, which means I'm going to kick your butt if you don't straighten up and become the disciplined figure that I need you to be. What we're building is a society that has a sense of responsibility for each other's well-being because we cannot do this alone, right? 
Margaret Mid, in her research on the evolution of civilization, argues that the emergence of civilization is that when we look at somebody in a cave that was dragged in, most likely, with a broken bone, somebody took care of them, changed their uh, covering on the wound, fed them and had them drink water, made sure that no mosquitoes or snakes will come into the cave until they healed and they came out. The healing bone is the beginning of civilization because in the animal world, you're a dead animal. You break a bone and you're somebody's dinner. Civilization is a group of people that take care of each other. And what the people in law enforcement are doing is they're taking care of us. And we have a misunderstanding of the nature of that relationship sometimes. But the essence of it is that somebody is watching our back. That is trust. It's trust in the system. It's trust in the infrastructure that we build. It's when we build the country, when we expand ourselves beyond our own tribe, it's because we build circles of trust. So compelling. I, I tell you, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm blown away here. Um, so many thoughts here, uh, Mir. Um, kind of off of your last uh, uh, point there, we've had a, uh, a another great guest on the show, and they were talking about just like, um, you know, over in Africa, when you have a perception that people are going over, they're spending all kinds of money, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars on, uh, you know, getting a prize lion. But the reality is, is that like you're talking about, um, being a being on the face of this planet, when you're an old lion, that is the worst misery of its lifespan. And that's what the locals have chosen to make money for the local populace, you know, to be able, but also to spare that, that lion's fate. That way it's not suffering for, you know, days, months, and years. Like you're getting, you know, it's, it takes a teamwork. It takes understanding and different perceptions on how do we take care of each other, but not just because of the prize of, you know, whether it's killing, combat, it's about having each other's back. I, I, I love that perspective that you're talking about there. Well, I need to tell you that I went in the last two weeks or two weeks ago to a very moving visit. I went to Rwanda. Mm. Oh, I'm sure you're familiar with what happened there in 1992 and 1994. Mm. The Hutu stood up against the Tutsi yeah. only because they were a bit different from them, not because they were a completely different sect. They were all part of the same religion. They happened to be the people who raised cattle and as a result of that drank a lot of milk, so they were tall. And the Belgians used them as the higher authority in the country and created division within the people themselves. Neighbors who lived next to each other provoked at one point to come and to stand up to your neighbor and within a hundred days killed with their hand, with a machete, with a short sword, one million people of their neighbors killed them eyeball to eyeball not even shooting from a distance and destroyed the country's whole uh, existence until this stopped after a million people have been killed. And these people now were asked to start living together because if they would revenge and start killing back the other side, this will be a total bloodshed. How do you create a reconciliation process in a nation where people understand that we need to live together and take care of each other. That journey and that experience of what happened there is an incredible learning. Now, I saw that you have a break in a little bit of time, so maybe we can talk about that after that break. I don't know how it works here, or should we just continue with the flow? No, we're good. So we're going to take a quick break, Amir, and guests, we hope you are fully engaged. This is one of the best interactions we've had on strategies for turbulent times. Come right back. Fight. 
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate. Impact. And transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Our guest today is Amir Kafir, and he's talking to us about non-flict, the art of everyday peacemaking. We were talking about the difference and distinctions between trust and respect and how that's so key to creating civilization and the ability for people to work together. Uh, We were having an interesting conversation over the break about how the times have changed from using your sidearm as the first, excuse me, but weapon that you would need as a law enforcement professional. And now what Matthew and I teach is emotional intelligence is your first weapon for success. Knowing yourself is your best weapon because knowing how you're going to respond to something when you least expect it is what saves lives, both yours and those around you. So as we come back to this, Amir, tell us how you got into this work. I get into this work. I think uh, I I grew up in a home where I ended up being the middle guy between my parents. And so I had to make peace and and support them in their conflict uh, and their challenges. And so I played that role. And uh, I think the real turning point when I grew up is that uh, I was asked to be a moderator of a peace forum between Israelis and Arabs. So after 9-11, there was a period of massive uh, suicide bombs in Israel and a thousand people were killed by buses exploding. And and of course, what happened between uh, what happened in New York and so on and so forth and through America at the time. And, and these YPO members, these leaders, business people said, we can't just be preoccupied with our learning and self-development. We need to engage in doing something for the world because we're good problem solvers and we understand win-win and so on and so forth. And so they came together and they said, what should we do? And they said, peace. And which one should we deal with? Uh, the joke is they took one simple one. They took the Israeli-Arab conflict, really only 100 years. 
And and then I was asked to be the moderator of that, which was very weird. They say, how can an Israeli moderate a forum that is dealing with the relationship between Israeli and Arabs? And somebody says, Amir is very experienced in moderating, and he's not alone because there's other people there from other areas of the world. And we got into this dialogue. And I was managing a conversation like a consultant. What's the problem? Then I want to ask, where should we go? And then how do we close the gap? But the groom did not really go along with me because there was a feeling that we might understand each other's perspective, but we don't feel that you truly understand how it feels to be in my shoes. Mm -hmm. And I'm touching here on something very important, I think, which is the ability to have empathy. When we engage in difficult situations, either in a conversation or even in a combat situation, if we truly want to be effective, we need to understand how it is to be in the other person's shoes. Even if I need to be in an attack mode, I still need to understand how does it feel to be in the other person's shoes in order to be effective and efficient. And what I learned in that exercise when I was there is that until you can tell me emotionally how you feel where I'm sitting, I don't think that you heard me. So I invented a game very intuitively. And I asked a guy from Jordan to be an Israeli and I asked an Israeli to be a Palestinian. I asked a Saudi to be an American and an American to be a Saudi. And something very, very interesting happened because the Jordanian basically said, this is our land, who are you, the wandering tribe? So he was really expressing a perspective that Shord showed us that he knows our narrative, like point made, no need to continue arguing. But then what happened is that the Israeli stood up and said, I'm a Palestinian and I'm walking with my son who is holding my hand in the West Bank towards a roadblock. My son looks at my forehead and he sees that I'm sweating, he sees the fear in my eyes. He does not know that what I fear the most is that I will make a certain move that will seem endangering the soldier in the roadblock and he will shoot. As he says this, I look on the side and I see someone from the Arab side and he has like a tear in his eye. I say, hey, without mentioning his name, what's going on, man? He says, I never thought that an ex-Israeli pilot can understand how it feels to be a Palestinian. And there was deep silence in the group. And that was the turning point. The turning point was when we felt empathy, when we saw that the other side knows how it feels to be in our shoes. I believe that to some extent, what you guys have described before, when I walk with my sidearm and I feel a threat around me, is that I feel similarly intimidated like the soldier in the roadblock that doesn't know whether this is a very naive person coming towards them or someone with a bomb wrapped around their shoulder and ready to explode at any moment. And probably the same experience of many American veterans that were fighting in the Middle East and feeling these continuous need to assess in real time, is this a naive or is this an enemy? And I think making that call is a moral call, but it also is a survival call. And sometimes we need to, you know, deal with the risk. And sometimes we want to do whatever it is to minimize the risk in those situations. But the truth is that at the end of the day, we need to live together, right? We can't just get rid in Rwanda, which is what I was saying before the break. We can't now go and kill the other side now that we're back in power. We will have streets full of blood and more hatred. There's no ending to it. There's no ending to it, right? Even what we're experiencing now in Israel is a really difficult situation, right? And you feel from your point of view that it's legitimate that you're acting in a certain way to eradicate a strategic threat on who you are by a barbaric move that was designed to, you know, rock us to our bone. And we went after. And now all of a sudden we become the, uh, you know, the predator in this uh, circumstances. So I have deep empathy for the law enforcement people that need to create peace on the street and at the same time are being judged by what they do and how they need to make judgment on the street and what they're doing. 
My learning from similar situation is that you need to never lose your identity of a civilized individual. If you walk into a house that belonged to somebody who fleed away, you don't break the plates on the table. You treat that place with respect. You don't lose your identity of someone who lives life with respect to human beings, with respect to, uh, to the life and to the privacy and to the rights of another individual until you're under threat. Right? And if you're under threat, then you need to do what you've been trained to do, which is to remove the threat. I'm sure many people here understand a lot more than me because they have to work through this day in, day out. And I'm sure that when you live this reality on a regular basis, this is very difficult because you're under threat, not only for the life of others, but for your own life. And you have a family that expects you to come back home alive for the duty that you do and for the payment that you get, and you need to be able to apply judgment. But if we will lose our moral stand, what we will create is a society of people that kill each other. That will be the destruction. It will not be law enforcement and protection of our environment. It would be something that we won't want to live in that world. So I don't want to become an authority on the subject of what the people here listening to us are dealing because I think they know much better than me. I've been in different situations, but also needing to make that kind of judgment. So this is my making into this. And what I've learned personally is that war is not a nice thing. And you never know how it's going to end. You walk into it with one mindset and you end up, you know, dragged into it for something that you never imagined it would be. So being able to think up front, what are you going to experience and how you're going to come out of it is something that we need to dedicate a lot of time before we act. Oh, that's so beautifully said and well articulated. Matt, would you like to say anything? Uh, you know, the, the the two words of respect and trust, I think I don't think we can say enough um, for society. You know, with everything that's going on with uh, whether it's social media, with the, the wars that we've been through with the last, you know, century, um, it's respect. And I love how you articulated it to put yourself in the other person's shoes and being through so many, you know, lands as far as warfare um i mean it's just it's amazing um how powerful those two words are because that's what it truly is and people think that you know i don't say everybody but you know in society and how it's depicted uh, all too often is that uh, you know just a bunch of savages throughout the globe um, trying to take over other people's land, whether it's for oil, whether it's, you know, you know, being, you know, survivability with weapons of mass destruction, um, you know, being through all this stuff throughout, you know, 25 years, it's uh, all this stuff is ran through the brain. You know, what is this about? And the bottom line is, is that we need to find that respect back, respect for one, for each other, uh, respect for ourselves. And most importantly, respect for the environment that we live in, i.e. the globe that we've been, you know, blessed with to survive. And uh, that's the bottom line. Mm. Very powerful. I think on the individual level, the way to get there and to gain that starts with self-respect. And I think the way to gain self-respect is to become rooted in the moment, in the present. And that some teaching about becoming present are very important. Um, I wrote my PhD on it, actually. I trained salespeople how to be present because I thought these things make sense, but if I don't prove to the business world where the rubber hits the road, which is sales, then it would be considered as sort of like touchy-feely, you know, tree-hugging kind of philosophy. <laughs> so I took salespeople and I taught them how to breathe, how to be conscious, how to listen, how to have eye contact, how to use active listening, how to elevate their energy and to control their presence and their power and the engagement, but then to go ahead and really develop an awareness of what's happening around them. And when you gain that inner self-esteem, you come back to your power, you come back to your center, then you can start seeing what's truly happening around you and make some good judgment about what is right and what is wrong because you have identified your anchor. And maybe in the process, you have only not only connected to your frontal cortex, 
or your fight and flight part of your brain, but you get in touch with your gut feeling and with your heart and you start making decisions that take that into consideration. So you're in a, in a flow of, of, of truly responding in real time to what is happening. And I believe that when we are jumping into a protective mode, right, into a, what you have probably been under combat when somebody gets hurt next to you and your heart rate goes up like crazy, there's even a method that is called the Navy SEAL breathing technique, right? Which is that you breathe to inhale to the rhythm of four, exhale to the rhythm of six. Inhale to the rhythm of four. What you're doing is you're regulating your nervous system and you're lowering down your heart rate, which allows you to become more present in the moment and shift back again from the flight or fight mode over here, which is very responsive, aggressive, or, 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 or flying away, fleeing away, to more of the frontal cortex and the ability to truly process what's going on. We know that people who are in a combat situation, when they see something exploding, somebody hurt next to them, need to quickly regain their decision-making capability. And by the way, the ultimate breathing is a box. Yes. Inhale to four, hold to four, exhale to four, inhale, hold to four, exhale, and so on and so forth, right? And when we do this intermediate, which means that breathing is actually a four-step process, not a two-step process, and we learn to differentiate that, we develop the capacity to be in the here and now. And when we're here and now, we are very wise because we see all the information around us. We're like a samurai that can feel the fly behind his back because I'm totally present. I'm totally in the moment. And I think when we take young people and we put them on the street and they need to protect and somebody throws something and they see a threat, often we tend to react prematurely. And in those situations, things start to escalate. And all of a sudden, to what is perceived as violence, there's a counter violence and the whole thing erupts and it gets out of control. Our ability to first regulate ourselves, to center ourselves, to come to our point of peace. You know that when you are under tremendous fear, your mouth gets totally dry. The drier it gets, the higher your heart rate gets because you're panicking of your mouth that is dry. What you need to learn is to wet your mouth with the inner salvia in order, again, to be in control of myself. I'm in control. I am, I am the owner of this equation. I am in charge of this. I might not control everything around me, but first and foremost, I need to control myself. And in that journey, there is a lot of capability that is emerging because I can read more signs. If you're a salesman and you're relaxed, you don't pitch everything you know about the product. You quietly listen to identify the unique buying reason. One person might buy a Kirby vacuum cleaner because it's very good against dust. Somebody might buy it because it's very good to shampoo the sofas. Somebody might buy it because it's a prestigious product that you can show that you are willing to pay $2,000 for a vacuum cleaner. And that is a statement about you. If I need to sell, I need to know what is your unique buying reason. For that, I need to spend more time listening carefully. What is relevant for you? What is your pain point? What is your need? So that when I present it to you, I do that. Same thing in any interaction, in any effort for influence of people. I need to be at my calm. We even saw elderly women that were taken hostages into Gaza and they were very relaxed. This is a woman that went through the Holocaust and she was so centered that they looked at her and they saw something different. They didn't see fear in her. They saw an inner calmness. She was not somebody that they mess with and they released her. They saw a soul that was so powerful and centered, and that was very meaningful for them. And so I think that self-mastery coming from self-respect and self-trust is essential in dealing with the challenge 
of being on the street with the threats there, and there's a lot of threats, and being able to protect your life and go back again home with a sense that you have done your job. And when we come back from the break, I suggest that we talk about family, because I think family and the foundation of the family is the most important build for a support system, because that's what we come back to, and that's who is waiting for us. And how we make that system work well is really maybe the number one priority in our life. I love it. I love it. We'll be right back. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. I love that, Amir. You're hired. (laughs) Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate. Impact. And transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X, dot com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Since we have a pro announcer on this show... I was pretty sure Amir was going to bring us back, but you're stuck with me. We're having an engaging conversation. I want to I want to turn to that point of interest that you spoke of before we went to break, which is the relationships that these everyday warriors in law enforcement and public safety come home to, come back to, and need in order to stay not only connected to themselves, but connected to humanity, given what goes on in a day of their life, a week of their life, a month of their life. Uh, Just, you know, a statistic for those of you who haven't been keeping up, 2023 in the United States suffered over 230 active shooter incidents. The data in 2024 is accumulating quickly. We we live in an environment where high schools are a dangerous place, where malls are a dangerous place, where hospitals are a dangerous place, where dropping your child off at nursery school is a dangerous place. So how we choose to be in relationship with others to fortify ourselves, to create our resilience for well-being, and nurture ourselves and our own empathy for us is so important. So, Amir, I'm going to let you have the last 
14 minutes of the show here to talk about the importance of relationship. Well, we're conversing together, and I love that I see our faces, so we're talking to each other, right? I can see when there's a moment that somebody wants to sneak in something and you don't just push away, but rather we co-create. That's very important. I want to share my thoughts about family because I've been spending a lot of time working in the last few years with families around the world. I've spent many years working with businesses and doing turnaround and bringing a different quality of a conversation to the leadership of businesses. But now I realize that maybe my most important giving should be in the field of family because family is the most important unit in our life. If our family works well, if the relationship in the family are working well, we're happy. If our kids are fighting with each other and there is adversarial relationship, we feel miserable. If I sit in my car and I look at the back seat uh, mirror and I see my kids playing with each other, I smile. If I see them fighting with each other, I feel like I failed in any way because I have not created between them a culture that they're very mindful of each other. Sibling relationship is the longest relationship in our life. And so we have a serious responsibility to model to our children our civilized behavior with each other, how we can talk about things. But what I've learned is that we don't teach families how to talk. Everybody does their own thing. Every family has a ritual. If we are religious, we go on Sunday or Saturday to a church or whatever. And that is our family ritual where we have a dinner together, a meal. But how do we talk to each other is the most important thing. How do we run? People say, what the hell, Amir? We talk. It's very spontaneous. We're just talking to each other. Well, I would argue that a structure for a conversation is very important. What does that structure need to have in it? One is the ability to make sure that there is equality, that everybody has a chance to talk. Sometimes we have a dominant individual in the family or a dominant child, and they don't shut up. And then the quiet child gradually becomes much more introvert. Not because they don't have something to say, it's just because the space has been taken by someone else. So all of a sudden, introducing something that we do in management meetings, which is the notion of equality. Everybody has two minutes to talk about the teacher in your life that you really love and remember. Why? And we time it. After a minute and a half, we say half a minute. After two minutes, we say time. Wrap it up. So we create this listening capability to each other. Then we go and we check on to see everybody, how are they doing? What's happening for them in their life? And people talk about me, myself, my body, my exercise, my learning, friends, school or work, us as a family, what's going on for us, between us, what's happening with money and what's happening with impact. Now, let me explain these things, why it's important to talk about them. To talk about the family is important because families have conflicts. Conflict, we said before, is there. Life is conflict. That's part of the dynamic of life. When you have different people with different styles, with different interests, there's conflict. So the question, again, is not whether you have it, but how you treat it. So do we listen to each other? Do we talk about things before they become explosives? I've met many people in my life that tell me that they're not talking to somebody in their family. This guy great DJ. He says, for the last 10 years, I opened, I've not spoken to my dad. I say, are you crazy? How could that be? Soon enough, this, this old man who is now alone in this house is going to die. You will end up going to talk to his grave. You'll talk to a stone in order to create a reconciliation within yourself for the lost years that you did not talk to your dad because of something you don't even remember how it all started. Sibling relationship is the longest relationship in life. Do we have a relationship that we take care of each other? If you get stuck, if you get arrested, who's going to bail you out? Who do you know is going to be there for you if not your family members? This is the relationship that we want to invest in. So we want to hear, how are you doing? Sometimes kids go through some trauma. Something happened and they don't talk about it. God forbid somebody told them, if you say anything to your parents, I will do this and this to you. And we don't hear we don't understand why all of a sudden they're withdrawn and we don't hear from them. Kids are going through deep depression. We don't really hear what's happening for them. And then God forbid there's suicide. And there is a great number of people who are going through that in families. How do we create a protocol that we hear what's going on? And talking about money. How do we learn that we need to learn how to talk about money? 
God forbid somebody dies and then we open up a piece of paper and all hell breaks loose. Why did he get the cottage and I did this and, and now they don't talk to each other. And total destruction of value. You know that in this world, last year, $105 trillion was the world GDP. Out of that, $70 trillion was created in family businesses. Families is the foundation of the economic system of the world. And if that works well, we perpetuate this value from one generation to another. If we don't know how to do this, this is total destruction of value. And I've seen families in some cultures where the kids go to college away from home, that they see their kids three times a year. And when they come together, soon enough, they start rehearsing the same arguments, especially under the influence of alcohol that gets people to get easily angry. And then all of a sudden, they're talking about the same fight that they had, the same pattern of how you talked to me when I was 12 years old, and, and everything is being rehearsed. And we don't really have a protocol of a conversation. Let's hear everybody. Let's not interrupt. And when we respond to each other, we don't tell other people what to do. We don't give them advice, which is counterintuitive to the way that we talk to people that if you ask me, what should I do? I tell you immediately and say, what do you mean? You ask me, so I tell you. No. First of all, have empathy for me. Tell me, have you ever felt like this before? I'm telling you that I'm feeling very scared. Tell me about a time that you felt scared so that I know that you're with me and that you know how it feels. And don't tell me what to do. Tell me what you've done and what worked for you. Because what was true for you won't necessarily be true for me. And more importantly, just maybe be there for me. Let me speak my mind. What I'm saying is that families have not learned how to talk and to have a conversation. And my determined passion is to help teach this. Now, I've already taught about 2,500 families all over the world in different constructs sometimes 500 at a time on a Zoom call where they're sitting in their home and my son and I are teaching them a process and then they go about and they do the same thing in the background with their family and their kids. But it's very important for us to teach this. Sometimes I look at Beyonce, she downloads a song and 280 million people download it. That is reach. I just need her to sing the song of family and then we'll reach 200 million people because there are billions of people that deserve to have a better relationship in their family. There's nothing that saddens us more than when we can't talk to our children, when the children don't talk to each other. And what's saddened also is that older parents are now left alone. They don't see their grandchildren at all. And gradually they develop all these diseases of old age, of losing memory and losing consciousness because they're isolated from a conversation. But if we got with them once a month into a conversation and they contributed and they shared and we had a regular protocol of a meeting together, these relationships will go far and beyond where they are right now. We will truly create an integration. And when family works well, society works well. Look at this. Most of the people that are going out there and shooting and killing and most of the people in human history who killed millions of people, Stalin and Hitler and Mao Zedong and, and uh, Ceausescu and the kids that are doing what they're doing and then they go into a mall or to a school and they revenge. I don't believe they grew up in a close-knit, loving home where they were heard, their pain was seen, we responded to each other. You see, the destructive of the family system is really the destructive of society. And so we need to go back into that system. That is the one unit that we have full allegiance. And for the service people who go back home, they have their home. That's their fortress. And that's the place where they want to see the closeness in the relationship between themselves and between their children. Because that is what they're truly fostering. The family is a system of mutual trust and respect. We learn from each other. And we know that we can turn our back for each other. If we create a system that we truly take care of each other, then we will go to the world much stronger. If our inner system is broken, we go to the street angry. We go back fired and, 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 and tired and, and distracted. And so any provocation will shift us from our center that we talked about before. And we lose it. 
And we lose it because we have not taken the time to take care of ourselves and to take care of our family. And that's where it needs to start. Society is built of a tribe that is built of families that come together, right? I think it was Hillary Clinton that says that it takes a tribe to raise a child. We need to, first of all, take a family that will work well together. And that's where I think we need to help the world. I just cannot thank you enough, Amir, for sharing your strengths, your abundant wisdom, your experience with us today. And I'm sure that everybody who's listening, whether it's live or on demand, will enjoy hearing from you. And how can people reach you if they need to say, how can I learn more, Amir? Well, um, there are- my first and last name at Gmail is my email. So Amir Kfir, A-M-I-R-K-F-I-R at gmail.com. And I think they can look into my website and see a lot of the things that I'm talking about in material, which is amirror.com, A-M-I-R-R-O-R. It's kind of a funny name, Amirror, by the way. Somebody was supposed to pick me up in Reading, Pennsylvania and getting up in the hotel, there's nobody there. So I call the office and I say, here's where's my driver. They say, yeah, we forgot. Somebody's <laughs> coming soon. And after a while, I see a young man running in the lobby. So I call him and I say, hey, are you here to pick me up? He says, no, they sent me over to pick up a mirror. <laughs> you can't that the name of my company. We love you, Amir. We love everybody in this audience for everything you do every day for us. And we cannot be more thrilled with how today went. Thanks, Amir. Take good care, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for making this happen. Hope to continue doing great things together. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. We hope Dr. Kat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless.